Hey, good morning, FCF. I can't believe it. You guys are back, but everything is different. Uh, you're all wearing masks, and I'm still trapped inside this screen. But keep praying. Things could change. Uh, I, I've been following a verse during this time, and uh, I want to read it to you from Proverbs 27:12. It says, The prudent, or the wise, see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. If you'll be patient, keep me in prayer. Uh, pray for a little while longer. I feel like the Lord has led me and my wife to stay patient for a while. There is danger for me. I happen to be in that, that category. And so if you'll be patient with me for a while, maybe then you'll have me for many, many years until you're sick and tired of me. That, that's my hope. But I, I am so eager to get back there, even if you are all wearing masks. By the way, how phenomenal, how phenomenal was the worship? Uh, Pete and Jess do just an extraordinary job. Uh, I just can't wait to be right back on the stage with them and just be a part of what God is bringing to you guys. All right, I started a series last week and it's called Turning Points. And by uh, way of introduction again, turning points are these periods in life where suddenly we're facing some decisions, kind of a fork in the road, but they're not always apparent. We don't always know they're happening. However, we know that we've hit a turning point because we can look back and see that the trajectory of our life started to take off in a different direction that may affect us for a long period of time or maybe even for the rest of our life. What I said in the first message was this, because we don't always see these turning points and recognize them immediately, it is critical that we stay in a, in a healthy spiritual condition so that whenever they come, we're going to navigate them well because we don't always see trumpets blaring, hey, this is a turning point. Okay, we, uh, we started last week with um, an epic that occurred in the history of the nation of Israel where a split occurred. Israel had existed under three kings, uh, Saul, David and Solomon for about 120 years. They were united, 12 tribes, kind of like we have 50 states, they had 12 tribes. And then after Solomon's death, Solomon had, had really, toward the end of his life, misled the people of God very badly. He involved all sorts of idols and things and uh, had a pretty exorbitant lifestyle and so forth. So his young son, last week we, we visited him, Rehoboam took over, but Rehoboam had a choice. The people came to him and said, listen, if you will treat us better, in, in essence, than your father did, we'll be loyal and we'll serve you. But he did not listen to his older advisors. He listened to the young men, and a split in the kingdom occurred. And a young man named Jeroboam, who another prophet had said would take over ten of the tribes of Israel, in fact, he did. Now, this is why this is important. Jeroboam uh, is the guy that sets things in a different trajectory. Remember, he becomes the king now. Now there's two kings. There's a king in the southern kingdom, Rehoboam. He's got Judah and Benjamin. And a king in the ten tribes. That's Jeroboam. And so uh, we're going to see that he takes them in a very different course. And that course ultimately brings uh, unwanted results. Now, or excuse me, un 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 I'm thinking of last week's unexpected loss. Uh, it could be that this COVID period has brought some unexpected loss into your life, into most of our lives. I'm not talking about those kind of unexpected losses in this message. There are some unexpected losses. We frankly have nothing to do with it. It's a part of life. God is with us. He'll see us through it. He'll heal us. He'll comfort us. He'll strengthen us and restore us. 
That's not what we're talking about in this message. We're talking about losses. They're unexpected, but they really shouldn't have been unexpected. We, we should have seen this coming. This all starts with Jeroboam. So I, I'm going to kind of get you back on point. So I'm going to start by reading once again from 1 Kings uh, chapter, chapter 12. And I'm just going to review verse 26, 27, and then jump you to 13. Here we go. It says, Jeroboam, this is the guy that took over the ten northern tribes. Jeroboam then thought to himself, now the Davidic dynasty could regain the kingdom. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, their loyalty could shift to the other former master, King Rehoboam of Judah. They might kill me and return to King Rehoboam of Judah. He gets afraid. He thinks if the people continue to worship God in Jerusalem at the temple the way they were supposed to, the way that God commanded, they might forsake Him. And so out of personal fear and selfish ambition, what he does, if you read the rest of that chapter, he literally concocts a false religion. He sets up calves for the people to worship. He institutes a priesthood from people that were not from the, uh, the lineage of Levi and so forth. So he, he creates a whole false religion system to maintain his position. The year when this happens is 930 B.C. Now, I'm going to read you one more verse in chapter 13, verse 34. It says, The sin caused Jeroboam's dynasty to come to an end and to be destroyed from the face of the earth. Now I'm going to take you in a time machine now from 930. I'm going to zoom you forward 208 years. And the year is now 722 BC. And you're going to see that prophecy about Jeroboam's dynasty ending. I'm not trying to say that he lived 208 years. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that his dynasty, Jeroboam will be the first of 19 kings over these northern tribes, over this 208 year period history. When we come to 2 Kings chapter 17, that dynasty, the ten northern tribes, the, the northern kingdom, sometimes it's called Samaria, sometimes it's called Israel, they have come to an end, a very abrupt, a very tragic end. Let me start picking up reading in chapter 17, 2 Kings now, not 1 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 17, and I'm going to start with verse 5. The king of Assyria marched through the whole land. He attacked Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea's reign, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the people of Israel to Assyria. He settled them in, in Hala along the Haber, the river of Gozan, and in the city of the Medes. So here we see, I want you to kind of focus on it. This is the extinction, folks, the extinction of the ten northern tribes of Israel. They become known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. They're never found again. Now God knows where they're at, but they're never, they're never brought back again. So Israel that started out as twelve tribes or twelve states, nations, what, well, not, not nations, but twelve states the way we think, all of a sudden becomes just two, Judah and Benjamin. These ten are overrun by the Assyrians they are then scattered throughout the Assyrian nations. They are blended into the Assyrian Empire, never to be heard from again. They're known as the, the Ten Lost Tribes of Israel. Let me pick up reading. Verse 7. This happened because, when you see that, you've got to perk up your ears. Why did it happen? Why were they deported? After 208 years, why were they suddenly taken into Assyria, never to be heard from again? This happened because... 
the Israelites sinned against the Lord their God who brought them up from the land of Egypt and freed them from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods. I'm going to pause there before I go on. They worshipped other gods. So, Well, actually, let me read you a few more verses. They worshipped other gods. Verse 8, They observed the practices of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before Israel and followed the example of the kings of Israel. Remember I said there were 19 kings, Jeroboam being the first. All of them followed that false religious system that Jeroboam instituted. They followed the kings of Israel. The Israelites said things about the Lord their God that were not right. And I'll just kind of pause there before I pick back up reading again. So here we see uh, the cause of this was they had so misrepresented God. You have to understand, in the, in the Old Testament, when God established the nation of Israel, He was doing something new. Satan had slandered the character of God. He had made it, um, he made it com compelling to Adam and Eve to believe that God was not honest all the time, that He was a power monger, that He was a control monger. He tells them if they eat of that tree that God had forbidden them, it won't hurt them one bit. In fact, it'll make them like God. Therefore, God's a liar. Therefore, God's trying to keep you down. They believed it. They ate. And then later on, we see when they hear the voice of God in the garden, they run from Him. They no longer trust God. They're scared of God. And so God has a real battle now to fight. He has to win back the trust of humanity. Beings that he loves dearly, made in his own image, but he knows that we're scared of him now. We distrust him. We believed the slander of the wicked one about God's character. So once you are slandered, it is a hard, long fight. And what God starts to do, starting with the nation of Israel, with Moses, is he starts to progressively, little by little, gently, kindly, not intimidating, reveal himself. And he starts by putting the record of himself in a book. Moses is the start of what we call the Bible. Moses is the start of the written record of God revealing himself progressively to us so that we would once again trust in Him. And as we trust in God and obey His will and His word, He'll reveal Himself through us to the rest of the world. So Israel, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they entered into this agreement with God. We're going to be your people, and we'll do exactly what you tell them. God says, okay, I'm going to give you my word. You're to preserve my word, and you're to obey my word. And then He gave them all sorts of promises. If you obey my word, your enemies won't bother you. Your crops will grow. Your, your cattle will do well. You'll be healthy and well. But if you don't obey me, well, then there'll be cycles of discipline to try to get your attention. Why? Why this blessing and this cursing mechanism? Because these people were representing God to the rest of the planet Earth. As they obeyed God, the rest of the world could see what God was like through them. If they misrepresented God, that was also, um, if they disobeyed God, I should have said, they are misrepresenting God to the rest of the world. And so they're giving a false depiction of God, a very serious thing. God pleaded with them for 208 years, the northern tribes. He sends prophet after prophet to him. He sends Elijah. He sends Micaiah. He sends Elisha and Elijah. He sends Amos. He sends Jonah. And finally, he sends Micah to him. And so he's begging them constantly, turn back, turn back. You'll see that in a minute in some verses that I'm going to read. He wanted to just bring them back to a place where they were giving a consistent picture of him to the rest of the world. But when that was an impossible thing, 
he allowed them to be deported. He always put that in the covenant from the beginning. If that if the people would no longer represent him, he couldn't continue to bless them and give a false depiction of himself to the rest of the world. Let me read on. So in verse 13, listen to this of 2 Kings 17, the Lord solemnly warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and all the seers, turn back from your evil ways, obey my commandments and rules that are recorded in the law. I ordered your ancestors to keep this law and sent my servants the prophet to remind you of its demands, but they did not pay attention and were as stubborn as their ancestors who had not trusted the Lord their God. There's the key. They really didn't have trust in God. You can identify uh, yourself with God and His people, but it doesn't mean you really trust Him. Verse 15, They rejected the rules of the covenant He had made with their ancestors and the laws He had commanded them to obey. They paid allegiance to worthless idols and so, listen to this folks, and so became worthless to the Lord. Now if that sounds harsh, let me read you what goes after it. They copied the practices of the surrounding nations in blatant disregard for the Lord's commands. They paid allegiance to worthless idols and so became worthless to the Lord. God's not saying they're worthless as human beings. He's saying they were no longer representing Him accurately and so He couldn't continue to bless them and give a worse false impression that you can live in this contrary way, a way that's destructive ultimately, and the real God, the real Creator is going to bless you. So. He had to allow them to be deported. 208 years, he warned them. 19 different kings, he warned every one of them. He pleaded with every one of them. But the people ultimately were stubborn. Now, let's pick up what, what went wrong. I mean, why? Why wouldn't Jeroboam listen? As soon as he created this false system, God sent him a prophet to correct him, but he didn't listen. He wouldn't turn back. His own fear of losing power won over the truth that God was sending him. But there were 19 kings in all, and so the other 18 did the same very thing. What went wrong? Now, folks, I'm going to take you somewhere a little bit deeper here because it, you, know, you could easily just read this on the surface and say, well, what, what went wrong is they didn't obey God. That's true. But there was something much deeper going on here. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, a very th three-point reason what went wrong. Number one, the Israelites starting with their first king, Jeroboam, and all the other 18 kings after him, 19 in all, 208-year history, they all had incorrect views of God. Incorrect views. They kind of looked at God as just kind of like an option. They sort of opted for what I call disingenuous speculation. I, 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 the way I came up with this term is I've had so many conversations through the years with people that when I start to converse with them about God, they're, they're disingenuous. They're, they're not sincere, and I know it. They start creating all these problems with why they, they don't know for sure that God exists or what He's like or, or whether He's there and, and all these things. And, and you can read it in them. They're not being sincere. They don't want to find God. They, they kind of act like God's impossible to find, you know, but He's not impossible to find. They just don't want to find Him. Disingenuous speculation. Listen to the way it's described in a New Testament book called Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. It says, yes, they knew God. N notice that. Yes, they knew Him. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Notice that. They began to think up. 
They made up foolish ideas of what God was like. It goes on to say, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. It's an inevitability. What went wrong? Number one, the kings of the northern tribe and the people of Israel had a wrong view of God. They just thought like people do today. If you talk to people about God today, they say, well, a person's spirituality, is, it's their own personal choice. I mean, you know, you, you might want to be um, a Muslim. You might want to be a Buddhist. You might want to be a Hindu. It doesn't matter. It's, it's what fits you. They don't look at God from a fact basis. They don't consider there has to be one real creator, and He, by very nature, is the only true God. Everything doesn't come from nothing for no reason. Therefore, there has to be a real God, and the real God says in His Word that we humans know intuitively He's wired us so that we know Him, but instead of knowing Him or wanting to acknowledge that we know Him, we start to create foolish ideas in our minds about what He's like. We start to speculate, but it's disingenuous speculation. It's not sincere. It's, it's aimed at wanting to escape the God that we know is there, not really wanting to do, deal with Him. And that's what the one big problem with Israel, Israelites were. Th to them, this was just another religion, and that's why Jeroboam could so quickly just create a new one. He just felt like, hey, you just got to find something to rally your people around spiritually. It doesn't really matter what it is. He didn't take serious. There is one supreme being, one true Creator. That's reality. People today do not deal with spiritual matters on the basis of reality. They say things like, oh, well, it's okay. As long as you're sincere, it doesn't matter. Well, you know, try stepping off a cliff at a thousand feet and be sincere that gravity is not going to take over, and you'll see your sincerity doesn't matter at all. Truth and reality, they always counter, they always come, they come across the path of uh, foolish beliefs, whether we're sincere or not. Sincerity does not protect us from reality. So they had, a, they had an incorrect view of God. The second thing they had was an incorrect view of God's Word. They, they just took it as a bunch of religious writings, a, a bunch of religious things to kind of recite periodically, uh, uh, some rituals and things. There are people today, they just kind of read the Bible like it's sweet poetry, or they just pluck verses out of here or there, or they glance at it once in a while. They don't understand that God gave us His Word so that we could study it, so that we could really get to know Him and know His will and His ways and His plans and His purposes, so that we could know the truth about Him and the truth about life, who we are, what's gone wrong, what His plan, what His purposes are. No, they just treat it kind of dismissively. It's just kind of one religious writing amongst lots of religious writings, and it really doesn't matter. Uh, the study of it, that's just for these weird, you know, ultra-religious monk sorts of people. That's not true. God has gone through great pain to progressively, gently uh, give a revelation of Himself and of the truth about life in His Word because He wants the power to be on our side. He doesn't want to intimidate us. He wants us to feel safe in approaching Him and learning His ways so that we can authentically from our hearts start to like Him, trust Him, and ultimately love Him. Listen to what it says in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus talked about people's tendency to have a societal orient orientation. Israel did as well. They followed the ways of the other nations we read in 2 Kings. And Jesus says that's a common trait. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said, Come to God through the narrow gate, because the wide gate and the broad path is the way that leads to destruction. Listen to what else he says. Nearly everyone, nearly everyone chooses that crowded road. So, 
our tendency, and the tendency of the Israelites was, was just to follow the majority. The majority of the nations, they just treated the gods and goddesses as, as you know, those that they could take or leave. They treated their writings as something that didn't really matter. It's all what you happen to opt for. It's all what you happen to like. They followed. Israel chose, instead of to follow God's word, God's revelation, they chose to follow the, way, follow the ways of society, the ways of the majority. And the majority, Scripture teaches us, is often, if not always, wrong. Jesus says the majority is on a broad road. It's broad, it's easy, but it leads to destruction. The third thing that they were terribly wrong about was God's will. They just thought that God's will was kind of arbitrary, that, okay, this God, this God of Israel, he sort of has these peculiar ways. He sort of wants his people to do this and don't do that. But they didn't really believe that it was a necessity. They, they thought that God's rules, God's laws, God's commands were just kind of arbitrary, kind of like what we think with speed limit signs. You know, the speed limit says 55, and, you know, we stay close to it. But if we go over it five miles, 10 miles an hour, we know we're just gonna be blending right in with traffic. We're gonna be blending in with the majority. But more, we don't expect the wheels to fall off our car. We believe that there's an arbitrary component to it. Yeah, it's a good boundary. It's a general guideline. The Israelites never understood God's will as it's revealed by God in His Word. It is the protective boundaries whereby human beings can have the life the life we've always wanted, the, God, the life that God intended us to, they never grasped that. They just thought, ah, it's just another bunch of religious writings. All these gods and goddesses have their will. They have their certain things they want us to do or not to do. And they just sort of packed God into that bunch of the other gods and goddesses. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's the way of death. God's will is not arbitrary. God's will is necessary. It's the revelation of reality. It's the only way that life can work. So what went wrong? Plain and simple. They started with a false, inaccurate view of God. From that, naturally, it led them to a false, inaccurate view of God's Word, which then naturally led to a false and inaccurate view of God's, God's will. And so what this meant for them was this. They were like people trying to navigate uh, life's turning points, but they were trying to navigate uh, without an anchor. They were trying to navigate without a compass, and they were trying to navigate without a map. Therefore, loss was inevitable. It shouldn't have been unexpected. God warned them for 208 years. He kept sending His prophets with His word to them, pleading with them to turn back. He warned them again and again and again. But when you ignore God, as He's revealed Himself, you have no anchor for your soul. When you ignore His word, you have no compass for your life. When you ignore His will, you have no map to show you the life that you were designed by your Creator to live. So you can't navigate life's turning points when you have no anchor, you have no compass, and you have no map. Unexpected loss should be expected if we're navigating it. Now, I want to pause for a minute because I'm going to tell you something. Churches are full of people just like these Israelites. For 208 years, they went through religious rituals. For 208 years, they used the name of God. They, they used fragments of His Word. They interacted with His prophets but they never ever had an accurate image of God. They just thought He was one amongst many. You kind of pick who you want. 
They never took him serious. They never believed that he was the supreme, loving, creator, guardian of their souls and of the universe. They never took his words seriously, meant to be the God and direction and compass of life. They never took his will seriously as something that was the necessary way free moral beings made in his image were made to live. So let's look at this thing from a second perspective. Obviously, we don't want unexpected losses in our life. They should have expected the loss, but it came to them unexpected when they were deported, devastated in Assyria. Listen, Jeroboam and the Israelites, they thought they were going to be happier the way they were living. They thought life was going to be better. They thought by just kind of playing it fast and easy, a little bit of God, a little bit of whatever the other nations are doing, a little bit of whatever I want to do, just kind of following my own personal desires, my own personal experiment with life. They thought it was going to bring more peace, more joy, more prosperity, but they lost everything. When they were carted off as prisoners to the Assyrian nations, they lost their freedom, they lost their peace. The freedom they thought they were going to get, they lost. The peace they hoped they would have, they lost. They lost their joy. And on and on we could go. Their life became drudgery. They lost their purpose. They lost their mission. They lost their identity. They lost their dignity. Everything they thought they were going to get. Some of you, you need to hear this. Some of you, you really need to pause because you too have a false image of God. You call yourself Christian, but you don't really, you don't really take serious the image that God has given of Himself in His Word. You call yourself Christian, but you don't really take His Word seriously. You pick and choose components that you'll, you'll uh, apply and point, points you won't. And when it comes to His will, you kind of think like, hey, you do your thing, I'll do mine. We're all sinners. We all just need forgiveness. God's going to forgive us anyway. You're, you're making the same mistakes. You think that that lifestyle is going to bring you more happiness, more freedom, more joy, more peace, more pleasure, more prosperity. And all of a sudden, unexpected loss is going to come. And the very things you thought you were gaining by kind of playing fast and loose with God and His Word, you're, you're going to discover one day you lose them in entirety. These lost ten tribes, they never came back. They're gone to, to this day. So to avoid this, because that's what I'm hoping all of us want to hear, that we're going to learn a lesson from them. We're not going to learn this lesson the hard way. We're going to let them learn it the hard way for us. So how can we avoid this? Well, it's just kind of reversing all these things, you know. Instead of uh, a disingenuous speculation about God, we need a sincere observation of God. I, I did a series of messages. In fact, I, I want to, before I go on, I, was going to say, I want to read you that verse that I read to you from Romans 1.21 again. It says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas. Notice that they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Just making God in, in whatever image pleases them so they could live any way they wanted. As, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. So if we replace disingenuous speculation about God with sincere observation of God, of the truth, that changes everything. I did a series of messages a while back, and it was called The Thinker. It's a very different kind of a series of messages because what I did with each and every message, instead of starting with the Bible, instead of God's Word, I said what we're going to do in this series is we're just going to use these powers of observation and reasoning that God has given us, and we're going to start with those, 
and then we're going to see where they lead us. Do they lead us toward something different than what we have in the Bible, or do they, in fact, lead us back to the Bible? And we started with nothing. You know, where did everything come from? Why are we here? Where did anything, or why is anything here? And what we found that just by using the powers of observation and reasoning, they lead us quickly to God, and not only to God, without a Bible, folks, I want you to hear this, without a Bible, your powers of observation, your powers of reasoning that God has given you, that He's given me, we will quickly come to a crystal clear image of God, a crystal clear image of a God who is exactly like Jesus. Let me show you how quick it happens. Okay? Here's what we know. We know that you can view human beings, and human beings have different levels of what we call kindness, goodness, love, decency, honorableness, and all that, that kind of thing. So picture the best human you've ever seen, and what you know is this, the Creator has to be even better. The Creator would always be superior to what He created. Therefore, very quickly, your mind jumps from your image of God to be the best human being you've ever known, and the best human being at a higher level would be just like Jesus, a God who is righteous all the time, kind all the time, merciful, good, and so on. So by mere observation, and reasoning without a Bible. I want you to let this sink in. People would come to the conclusion of a God that is exactly like the God of the Bible that we recognize fully in the person of Jesus, just by observation and reasoning. So all of this disingenuous speculation about, oh, God might be this and He might be that, or He could be multiple things, we know better. And that's why God said in that Romans chapter 121, we knew God, but people start making up foolish ideas about what He's like. So if we want to avoid unexpected loss and navigate life's turning points, we need to replace disingenuous speculation with sincere observation. Let me read you a verse. This is from Psalm 62.5, and I'm combining Hebrews 6.19 with it. It says, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope, that's the anchor, my hope comes from Him. That's where my hope comes from. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Folks, if we're going to navigate life's turning points in life, we need an anchor, and that anchor is an accurate image of God. And now we have the whole Bible, the full revelation of God. The Old Testament was a partial revelation of God. The laws told us a lot about God, but they didn't show us what He was completely like, but we have it now in Jesus. It says that in Jesus is all the fullness of God in physical form. We have that in, contained for us in the Bible, the Word of God, that He's protected, preserved, and passed down to us, which is why it's so critically important. They opted for a societal orientation. They just kind of copied the nations. They copied what the masses of people were doing. That's what formed their morals, their ideas, their practices, their lifestyles. But we should follow the divine revelation that God's given us. Folks, the Bible is the most valuable book on this planet. It is the most valuable, accurate source of information, of truth on the planet. It says things and tells us things that only the Creator Himself can know. You and I are dependent upon our Creator choosing to reveal Himself, the truth about Himself, and the truth to us about life. He lives in realms that are so beyond us, we are dependent upon His choice to reveal the truth to us, but 
we can be glad that He has done so and done so in abundance. And we have His Word, which makes it all the more important for us to understand that we not only have an anchor, we know the true character of God and that He's good all the time and that He is self-sacrificially, lovingly devoted to His created ones. But we also have a compass. And that compass is the Word of God. Let me read you a couple of verses real quick. Psalm one, or one verse, Psalm one nineteen, verse one thirty three. It says, "Guide me, guide my, excuse me, guide my steps by your Word, so I will not be overcome with evil." Instead of societal orientation, just following the pack, following the crowd on the broad narrow way. We have God's Word that He's given to us to guide us. He actually intends us to learn it, to study it, to internalize it, and to, and to live it out. It is meant to guide. It is meant to protect. It is meant to direct. It is meant to bring us to maturity and, and to become those that look more and more like Christ, the one that created us in His own image. It says, Guide my steps by your Word. We have an anchor. It's the image of God as He really is. It's revealed to us in His Word. And we have a compass. It's God's Word to guide us as we navigate life's turning points. Lastly, we also have a map. We not only have uh, a correct image of God given to us, we have God's Word, but we also have God's will revealed to us. So here again, instead of personal experimentation to find out what works for us in life, what we need is a trusting devotion in God's will. God has proven Himself sacrificially good and devoted to us. He wants your, He wants my happiness and highest well-being more than you and I could ever want it. And He has proven that by revealing Himself comprehensively, especially in His sacrifice in Christ on the cross. It shows that God is always unselfishly devoted to those that He's created. And His will, His will is the best that we can ever do. Listen folks, you and I, by experimenting with our own will, we are always cheating ourselves. We are always cheating our society. We are always cheating one another. Because you cannot, I cannot do any better for myself. I can't do any better for those that I love. I can't do any better for the world that I'm in than embracing God's will to the full, fullest. It's the map of the best life ever. It's the map of what we really want, but we really don't know how to find on our own. Listen to this verse. From Psalm 32, verse 8, it says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Let me repeat that. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. It's the map. God's will is the map for my best, your best. The commands of God, they are invitations to the best life ever. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. So, these Israelites did not navigate their turning point after 208 years of God pleading with them because they had an inaccurate view of God, they had an inaccurate view of His Word, they had an inaccurate view of His will. And that left them trying to navigate without an anchor, without a compass, and without a map. Contrary to that, we can avoid unexpected losses in life because we do have an anchor. We know what God is like. We do have a compass, God's precious Word. We do have a map, God's will. It's the best life ever that we could ever have. And so there's no reason for us to experience unexpected losses as we navigate life's turning points. I want to close with something that I, that I hope will be helpful because this, this occurrence with the northern tribes of Israel, it, it, it feels severe. It feels like a kind of a threatening thing because, folks, 
They were deported, never to be heard from again. They never were allowed to serve God and represent Him again. That's reality. God could not continue to work with them or through them. And so that might make some of us think, Randy, are you saying that, that God could just be quick to be that severe with us and you know, punish us or penalize us or do something to reject us or cast us off? I, I want to give an example that I hope will allow me to blend into the ending of this because it comes with both a warning and an assurance, a blessing, and a cause for, for conscientiousness. Back in 2009, there was a guy, I'm going to make sure I get his name right, his name is Terry Herbert, and in 2009, Terry Herbert had one of these metal detectors, and he was um, walking around in a newly plowed field in Stratfordshire, England. Um, you know, hobby. Well, all of a sudden his metal detector starts picking up something. He starts to dig around a little bit. He had the permission of the farmer and he finds things. And then he keeps finding things and he keeps finding things. And he keep... By the time it's over, this guy has found over 3,000 things from the 8th century in England's history. Now here's what's funny. The guy's got his little metal detector. He finds a treasure from the 8th century England that has been valued at over $4 million. Over $4 million treasure was laying buried under the soil <laughs> of some farmer's field. Crops growing over top, but nobody knowing any different. Now here's the question. Was that treasure, while it was buried, did it have any value? We read earlier in this in 2 Kings, it says that the Israelites became worthless to God. Did that mean that their souls no longer had any worth? Or was it saying that when they refused to see Him as He really was and to trust His Word and His will, that they no longer represented Him and that's what He meant they were worthless? Or, or was He saying that they, by their own humanity, were worthless? I think you know the answer to that. But here's the question. That treasure... When that treasure was under the ground and nobody knew it was there, was it worthless? Well, kind of, kind of. But then I ask you again, but was it worthless? Not really. It always had the value. It, in other words, it was always worth $4 million. It just was not uncovered yet. Its worth was there, but its worth was not effective. It, it was not being communicated. It, it, it was not dynamic. It was buried in dirt. It was covered up. It was hidden away. It had its worth, but its worth was not expressing the power and the potential that it could be expressing. Where, where are you going with this, Randy? Here's what I'm trying to say. We today as followers of Christ, or we that would identify ourselves as followers of Christ, could we ever so backslide away from God, reject His will, reject His word, misrepresent Him to the place that He would cast us off like he, he had to ultimately do with these Israelites so that we become to Him too worthless? Could someone that calls themselves a Christ follower, a Christian, become worthless? I'm not saying that. The big question is this though, God said of those Israelites they never really trusted Him in the first place. They acted like they were His people but they never really trusted Him. If you have though, truly put your faith in Christ, truly put your trust in Him, then you will never be worthless. Pause, but you and I can backslide. We can drift away from God. We can become unfaithful enough to God. We can become disobedient enough to God. We, become, we can become neglectful enough with God's Word and His will enough that we do become, in a sense, worthless. In other words, 
the treasure that we have within us, Christ in us, will not be made visible to the world, the watching world, the circles of influence that God puts us in, unless you and I have an accurate image of God that's the anchor of our soul, unless we are internalizing His Word, we are learning it, studying it, living it out before a watching world so that it's the compass guiding our life. And until we so love God that we can't wait to do His will in every area of our life, and until the watching world sees that we have an anchor, we have a compass, we have a map, then our worth, our worth to them, our worth to God as His representatives is diminished. God will not cast us off as Christians. Hebrews chapter 12 says He's a Father, and as a Father He will do His utmost to correct us, to bring us back, to restore us, just like He did those Israelites. 208 years He pleaded with them to turn back. He was kind and merciful. So your inherent value as an image-bearing being made by Christ and made for Christ, that, that can never be lost. But you and I can diminish our impact, our, our worth, as far as what God can do through us and give to others to us. God, God wants to do wonderful things by reveal, being revealed through you and I, imperfect as we are. But it won't happen unless we navigate life's turning points with our God-given anchor, with a God-given compass, and a God-given map. We might be like this treasure over in Stratfordshire, England. Maybe some of us, the Spirit of God is saying, you know, you're a little bit, you're a little bit dirty. You, you need a little bit of a dust off. You need a little bit of a cleanup to really let the glory of God, the truth of God in Christ shine through. It could be that He's saying to some of us, some of you, you've been like that, that treasure. You're, you're hidden away. You, you need to be more open. You need to be more forthright about the fact that Christ is your Savior. He's your Lord. He's, he's your light. He's your life. He's the one you live for and the one, if necessary, you would gladly die for. Maybe you're the buried treasure that needs to be uncovered and discovered and be of great, great worth because the one that dwells in us is ever and eternally of great worth. I hope you'll navigate life's turning points with not one unexpected loss. And I know that's God's desire for each of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. We are so glad that you're a gentle and a patient God, extraordinarily gentle and patient. You plead with us again and again and again. You seek our highest well-being and happiness. You want it more than we want it. Help us, O oh God, to embrace an accurate image of you. You have shown us who you are. We know you are good all the time, and that anchors our souls. Thank you for your word. Where, where would I be, Lord? Where would I be were it not for your word? I thank you so much for your word that has been the compass of my life. And thank you for your will. Your commands are always our best. They are the map of who we can be and what you intend us to experience. They are not arbitrary. Your will is necessary for our good and the good of the universe. May your spirit impress this truth on our hearts and may we be treasures that you can reveal your excellence through to the blessing of many. We ask all this in your name, the name that we love, the name that we are ever eternally devoted to, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.